Hello, this is Chris Martin with Heterodox Academy. We are here today with George Yancey, who's a sociologist at the University of North Texas. George received his PhD from the University of Texas at Austin, and he has published numerous books. Um, his books have been about Christianity and anti-Christian bias, both within and outside the academy. He's also written several books about improving race relations, um, again, both race relations within churches and within the community as a whole. Among his recent books is a book called What Motivates Cultural Progressives from 2012, So Many Christians, So Few Lions, Is There Christianophobia in the U.S. from 2014, and Hostile Environment, Understanding and Responding to Anti-Christian Bias from 2015. And his most recent book is Compromising Scholarship, Religious and Political Bias in American Higher Education. And I wanted to talk about two major topics today. Uh, the first is about your work on anti-Christian bias, and specifically about any advice you might have to young Christians in the academy who are either in graduate school or who are in their early career as a professor. And in the second part, I wanted to talk a bit more about your mutual responsibility model, uh, with uh, which relates to your work on intergroup harmony and race relations. So, for our audience, um, could you briefly summarize what your work on anti-Christian bias within the academy shows and which parts of it are especially relevant to young people who might be in graduate school or in their first couple of years as a professor? Sure. Uh, my, uh, my book on compromising scholarship really uh, boils down to a survey that's sent out to academics. Mm -hmm. And in that survey, I basically asked them, if you found this out about an academic, would you be more or less willing to hire them? Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm only talking about, you know, in theory, what people are, would say they would do at one point of the whole process. And that's the mm -hmm. point of getting your first job. Okay. Uh, I actually did. What? It's also self-reported. Yeah, it's also yeah. self-reported. I mean, I, you know, there's other research out there, I think, that sort of supports what my findings, but mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, telling you what my particular findings are. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually did this research expecting to, there, for there to be some bias, and I thought there'd be more political bias than religious bias. Mm -hmm. My reasoning was that I know of Christian organizations in, say, I won't say sociologists, mm -hmm. uh, uh, historians, I think, Mm -hmm. But I did not know any Republican Christian uh, Republican sociology organizations, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so it seemed to me that religion was kind of okay, mm -hmm. uh, political not okay. Mm -hmm. I was wrong. It was reverse. Okay, there was more bias against conservative Protestants than there was against Republicans, members of the NRA, uh, libertarians, uh, those sort of individuals. There was mm -hmm. still bi political bias, but it was not nearly as strong. Oh, okay. And depending on the discipline. It varied from anywhere from about 30 to 80 percent mm -hmm. of the individuals would state that they found out that you were considered a Protestant, they'd be less willing to hire you. Mm -hmm. uh, does, you know, some say only slightly, some say moderately, some say greatly, but still it means that if you're considered a Protestant, you work at a disadvantage trying to get a entry-level position mm -hmm. if people find out you're considered a Protestant. Now, right. in theory, you, we're not supposed to know. In mm -hmm. theory, you go for a job interview. They cannot ask you religious questions. They cannot ask you, you know, questions about your family. You, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I'm sure yeah. you know the drill. But there are some clues. There are clues. And, you know, if I was on the job market today, 
for whatever reason. Now I go as a full professor and everything right. like that. But if I was someone to go to the job market today, all you do is Google me and you'll find out that I am a Christian. Yeah. Uh, and you could probably figure out that I'm probably a conservative Protestant Christian. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in theory, it shouldn't matter. In reality, I, I know from personal experience, from talking with people, that there are people who have found out about other people's religious backgrounds as they go out for job interviews. Mm-hmm. So it, the reality is that it, it, it does matter. And mm-hmm. when about half of your academics, you know, when I, when I put them all together, and, and of course mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's not weight or anything like that. So so I just throw this out just as just a general number. You know, if, mm-hmm. we, if we look at all of the sciences and humanities, the number probably is not exactly half. But if about half of all academics say, unless I'm willing to hire you if I found out that you're a Baptist, mm-hmm. then that is going to have meaning. And this is those who say it and not, you know, I, I suspect it may be higher, those who mm-hmm. actually have that bias but won't actually say it because they know it's illegal to say that. Right. Well, a couple of questions come to mind. So if a student, if a graduate student or uh, someone on the job market is a mainline Protestant, but very devout, or a liberal mm-hmm. Protestant, or Catholic, does that change things? Yeah, there's not as much uh, discrimination. In fact, there's mm-hmm. very minimal discrimination, in, according to my survey, mm-hmm. on those on those groups. Okay. Uh, and I'm trying to think of other research. I don't think other research has shown, you know, mainline Protestants, Catholics. Now, Mormons is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not as much with with other with, with conservative Protestants, mm-hmm. but still, it's not as minimal as it is for Catholics and 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 uh, and mainline Protestants and and things of this nature. So you're kind of a little bit free to express mm-hmm. the fact that you're a Catholic or mainline mm-hmm. Protestant if you're going for a job, mm-hmm. uh, although. I would suggest to uh, to someone who is a conservative Protestant, mm-hmm. you're going for a job, to not tell people you're a conservative Protestant. Okay. You know, to hide yeah. that in your vita. To, you know, after you get the job, then maybe you want to be more open about it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, w- I would suggest I've suggested to some of my students who I know are conservative Protestants, if you're not applying to a Christian college, mm-hmm. do not. Uh, you know, prepare two deep vitas. One, you're going to send a Christian college you're going to apply for, mm-hmm. and the other, you're going to send elsewhere. Okay. Um, and I should mention for the audience as a reference, I'm not a practicing Christian. I'm interviewing you because I'm interested in this research. Um, I was raised Christian, and I was a, an evangelical Christian for about a year of my life, so I'm familiar with the differences between Catholicism and evangelical Christians. Um, there's some work by Christian Smith showing that among young people in particular, there's an association between institutionalized religion and two particular socially conservative attitudes. One is attitudes towards gay rights and gay marriage, and the other is towards evolution. The idea there being a number of young people assume that if you belong to really any institutionalized form of religion, the likelihood is higher that you might be opposed to gay rights and opposed to the teaching of evolution. So does any of your research show that that sort of assumption is at the back of people's minds when they're evaluating you? Yeah, I think that, that there is there are certain assumptions. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, some of my work on anti-Christian bias sort of draws out more of the particular assumptions and biases and mm-hmm. justifications people use mm-hmm. for treating certain Christians differently than they would treat someone else. Mm-hmm. And some of that is this notion of, well, you you really mentioned two dynamics. You mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with the whole talk of gay rights, you're mentioning mm-hmm. a political dynamic. You know mm-hmm. that they're that they're very conservative and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. The uh, evolution mm-hmm. is what I call an anti-science dynamic. 
-hmm. and both come into play. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, there's other, there's there's more personalized uh, dynamics at play as well. For mm -hmm. example, the assumption that if you are a sort of Christian, that you're also racist or bigoted, mm -hmm. uh, things of this nature. So it's not, those aren't the only two factors that are there, mm -hmm. but they, they are both, in, I think, in play in why people make these sort of decisions. Okay. So have you personally seen people successfully mitigate this bias? Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess you could say that I have, you mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, I, I'm a full professor at right. a doctorate granting university, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and others, you know, I, I have friends who have, and, and so, you know, I, I tell people it's, you know, we're not talking about Jim Crow South type of stuff. I mean, we're mm -hmm. not talking about you can't succeed. Right. What I'm saying is it's an additional barrier, any type of mm -hmm. additional barriers that are not necessary, then mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a problem. But, you know, I, I always try to be careful when people want to talk me about it because mm -hmm. some people talk you know some people i think blow my work out of proportion to what mm -hmm. i'm actually saying i'm right. saying it's a problem i'm not yeah. saying that you know that uh that you cannot succeed if you are considered a christian in academia but mm -hmm. it is harder than it probably should be okay and you're within sociology in particular like me which is a particularly progressive leaning field um People don't explicitly talk about religion as much, but I would guess the proportion of agnostics and atheists is close to 50% at this point, maybe, in sociology. Um, so do you find that there's sort of a network of conservative Protestants within sociology, people who know each other and sort of informally have a support group, so to speak? There are a – there's a couple of formal – Groups of Christian sociologists. Okay. Uh, but I think that, and I belong to one of them. I don't mm -hmm. go to their conferences that often because I'm busy doing other things. And mm -hmm. uh, I just recently got a couple of kids, and they're just like, you know, conferences. What are those? Yeah. Well, uh, but thank you. But uh, but I, I think that the informal networking is probably more supportive in, in some ways than the formal than the formal organizations mm -hmm. and there is that you know you're right there is this network uh people know each other mm -hmm. uh they, they when they do go to other conferences they, they get together and, and they talk with one another uh if you if you have some certain struggles mm -hmm. that pertain to being an academic and a christian and you and you know other christian academics you know who you can contact email call mm -hmm. that sort of stuff you know I don't. I've not studied it. This this network. I just know it's there. I've seen it in action, and so okay. it would be an interesting study. Okay. Um, and in one of your books, you suggest that maybe to some small degree, Christians elicit bias. They do things to increase anti-Christian bias. Do you find that happening in the academy to some degree? Uh, probably when I'm thinking about. Uh, Christians eliciting, and I'm probably thinking more outside the academy than inside the academy. Because okay. when you become a Christian inside the academy, you learn the rules, mm -hmm. and you tend to learn what you can and can't do. Right. And maybe you're you're more cautious mm -hmm. than 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 other groups uh, that that might feel being marginalized. Because mm -hmm. you, you know it's not or just you know I'm an, I'm obviously an African American, and mm -hmm. African Americans. Uh, face a certain degree of marginalization in our society, mm -hmm. and even to some degree, you know, that still comes in academia, although it's less than in, in the other rest of society. Okay. So, but if I, as an African American, talk about being marginalized in the academy, mm -hmm. there are higher ups in the academy who will listen. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll pay attention. They may not do what, exactly what I want, but right. it's not dismissed. 
Right. But I talk as about as a Christian being marginalized, that's mm-hmm. a different animal altogether. You know, mm-hmm. the, the higher ups in, in the academy aren't necessarily going to listen to me. Okay. So as a Christian, you learn this very, very quickly. When I think about Christians doing things that that incre- that justify anti-Christian bias, I'm not mm-hmm. thinking of academics as much. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking more of uh, Christians outside of academia. Uh, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to get into politics or anything like that, but I think mm-hmm. some some of the actions and arguments made by Christians in politics mm-hmm. can increase this sort of prejudice. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think it justifies this sort of prejudice, but mm-hmm. I think it, it does increase it, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, the second topic I wanted to talk about, which is, um, you know, closely related to Christianity, is your work promoting um, interracial harmony within churches and uh promoting multiracial churches to begin with. And you've got this fascinating uh, model that you call the mutual responsibility model that you consider and and you contrast that with four previous models. So for our audience, could you explain, could you give us a brief overview of that? Sure. Uh, I guess part of the way I look at race relations and, and, you know, Trying to trying to think outside the box, mm-hmm. you know. One thing I don't want to do is write another race book on. Hey, it's bad for blacks out there. I mean, mm-hmm. there are a dime a dozen out there now. Yeah. So I, my way of thinking outside the box is, I think that uh, in the United States, that the unique problem of race relations will not be solved until we find solutions that span the different groups and that you can get buy-in from different groups, from mm-hmm. sort of whites to radical people of color. You know, all and all, everything in between, and so the previous models say colorblindness is w- one example. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of conservative whites love that model. Mm-hmm. Uh, people of color, understandably, don't think it has much merit because, you know, I don't need to to discuss with you about mm-hmm. how colorblindness blinds us to structural racism and institutional problems. Right. On the other hand. You know, I had a, a sort of white responsibility model, the sort of model that says, well, blacks can't be racist, that sort of stuff, which mm-hmm. a lot of radical people of color tend to like. That's close Whites don't like that. With, with probably critical race theory. most Critical race theory, that. anti-racism, that uh-huh. sort of stuff, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, look, you know, if you push a model that a large percentage of people automatically turn off by, mm-hmm. it's not going to work because they're going to sabotage it. Mm-hmm. So... My my thinking is that if we can find ways to actually communicate to one another, mm-hmm. to both be mutually responsible for for finding a model that addresses the needs of other individuals, mm-hmm. then we might be able to find a model that you know it's not going to meet everyone's all of everyone's needs, mm-hmm. but it may meet enough of everyone's needs that people will be will will have buy into it, will be committed, and mm-hmm. if it's a model that develops because we've discussed it with one another. Mm-hmm. then it's not like you're forcing this model on me. Mm-hmm. And if it's not being forced on me, I might be willing to work and sacrifice for it. Mm-hmm. But if I'm, you know, if I'm a person of color and you're forcing a colorblind model on me, mm-hmm. then, you know, I'm going to say, no, that's not going to work. You know, why force this on me? Mm-hmm. And to be honest, mm-hmm. if I'm a white person and you're forcing some other model on me, I might feel the same way, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that that's human nature. Okay. okay. So that's some model in which yeah. we can have a communication where we can, so it's not as much that I have this A B C D three, you know, mm-hmm. you know, do this, do this, do this, do this. Because if I if I had that sort of idea, by nature I'm trying to force an answer before mm-hmm. we even had the conversation. Right. And I don't think we've had the conversation. People talk about we talked about racial issues. No, we've not. We've talked mm-hmm. past each other. 
not mm-hmm. talk to each other. Right. And that's part of what I try to promote, uh, not mm-hmm. just inside the church, but outside the church as well. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I talk about this in, in churches and why, and how multiracial churches make this work. Mm-hmm. But this is an idea that, you know, I also, you know, you can see to, to a limited degree, you can see this in the military. Mm-hmm. You can see this if there's a if you have a sports team and an racial incident comes up, comes about, you you better believe a coach is going to have communication go on and they're going to solve some problems because the team's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. So. It's not just a religious thing. I think it. I think it should be a societal thing mm-hmm. that we're a long way from. Okay, and um, because you're within sociology, and we're both within sociology, I would predict that it's pretty easy for you to talk to sociologists about why the colorblind model doesn't work, mm-hmm. and why even the multicultural model has some weaknesses. But how do you find sociologists, um, particularly very left-wing sociologists? How are they? Are they receptive to this? this idea or do they tend to still believe that there are more advantages than disadvantages to the to the white responsibility model and just to clarify for our audience the white responsibility model is that uh to sum it up very quickly maybe um glossing over some edges but, but the idea is that whites were in power for a long time and they created structures and because those structures were created by white people it's white people who are alive today um should accept full responsibility for dismantling those models. Is that yeah. roughly how you put it? So that that tends to be somewhat popular among certain sectors right, of sociology. Yeah. So do you debate people who are in that sector of sociology? Well, you know, what I've I've actually have uh, I, I hopefully matured over the past few years on this. I mean, mm-hmm. I used to try to push certain ideas that I have. Mm-hmm. I'm less likely. I'm you know I'm not about critiquing. Even though I do in the book, I, mm-hmm. I I do in the book because I think I have to in order to get to where I'm at. Right. I'm less I'm less about saying, look, that model's wrong, it's bad. I'm more about, will this model work? Mm-hmm. Uh, and my answer is, it's not going to work unless, you know, people are going to accept it. Mm-hmm. And the way we're going to accept it is by communication. And so, what I'm more about today, mm-hmm. honestly, on on racial issues, is mm-hmm. is trying to encourage people to actively listen. Okay. And what I find is, and I have plenty of friends on the left and the right. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. in a unique position, and you know, I have, you know, I'm, and I'm in sociology. Uh, I'm an African American with a probably more progressive understanding that way. Mm-hmm. I'm also a Christian. Uh, I tend to have a very conservative theology, which probably leads me to to conservatism in certain other ways. Mm-hmm. So I have friends all, literally all across the political spectrum, mm-hmm. and I find that uh, it's not about whether you're left or right. I think everyone struggles with the idea of listening to people they disagree with. Mm-hmm. I think that. I think that's part of the human condition. And so I think the challenge is less for me mm-hmm. personally. I think the challenge is less about your political ideology, but can mm-hmm. we as Americans mm-hmm. uh, learn, be willing to learn from others and be mm-hmm. willing to think about others as we put together our solutions? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not going to put that blame on on liberal sociologists or I'm not going to put that blame on conservative whites. I'm mm-hmm. saying that that tends to transcend all these groups. And that's the challenge I think that's really there. Okay. So when it comes to your undergraduate classes, how do you um, attempt to teach that? Well, you know, probably, you know, I think our class is about 14 weeks. And it's probably the first 12 weeks, you know, especially my race ethnicity class is what you probably would expect in a race ethnicity class. I mean, mm-hmm. we, you know, we look at the history of race relations. We look at, you know, theories of modern racism, contact hypothesis, we, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all the basic stuff that you, one would expect in a race ethnicity class. Mm-hmm. Last two weeks, though, 
I do present this these ideas. And you know, we've we've had twelve weeks, and I give the class a little bit of time to think about, or how would you solve restaurant issues given what we've looked at? Uh-huh. And then I, I, you know, we talk about that, you know, what uh-huh. solutions they see. And then I go into uh, developing the mutual accountability model. And so I hope to leave them then thinking about, oh, there may be a different way than what I've seen before. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it's the best I can do as a professor. I can't expect people to come into my class and leave Mm -hmm. convinced with my ideas, but I hope to provoke them to think differently. Okay. Are there any particular pedagogical exercises that you think work at that point in time, apart from the lecture? Uh. When I teach race ethnicity, I, I divide the students into groups, mm-hmm. and I intentionally mix the groups so that I have conservatives and liberals in those groups. Okay. And then I constantly have them discuss discuss issues because okay. I want them to get used to discussing issues, disagreeing, and figuring out how to solve, how to you know come to a conclusion. Okay. And so I do that, and then towards the very end, mm-hmm. when they're trying, when I ask them to solve racial problems, I have them do it in these groups. Okay. So so that's you know. Uh, that's part of what I what I what I've learned. Mm-hmm. I've you know I've done some reading and thinking on active listening, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and sometimes when I've given talks, I've talked about the importance of active listening mm-hmm. uh, as as an important first step. And so mm-hmm. those are some of the approaches that I that I'm trying to head towards today. And I'm trying to stay away from offering solutions per se mm-hmm. uh, at this point of my of my career. Okay. I think it's great that you're able to identify conservative and liberal students and get them to talk to another. Do you uh, do some kind of quiz at the beginning of the, the semester to figure out which students are conservative and which are liberal? Or do you just kind of figure that out over the course of the semester? Well, actually, I do have them fill out. Uh, I have them fill out, you know, first of class, what's your name, mm-hmm. major, uh, uh, why are you taking this course? And then okay. I ask them uh, what figure alive or dead, mm-hmm. most closely matches your perspective on racial issues. Hmm. And so I may get, you know, a Martin Luther King, you yeah. know, I may get Malcolm X, I may get a George Bush. Mm-hmm. I'm sure next year when I teach it, I may get a Donald Trump, Right. you know. And so that helps me to sort of see how I can match them. And I have their race, I have mm-hmm. the person that they see as, mm-hmm. and, I, and I, I ask them, it has to be a public figure, so it can't be their father. Right. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know, yeah. I don't know how their father is. You know, right. it has to be a public figure of some sort. Yeah, but that's a fascinating so, way so, to get it, though. So I try to use that, you know, because it's hard to, yeah, I don't mm-hmm. want to say, are you liberal or conservative? Mm-hmm. You know, because honestly, sometimes students don't know what that means. Right. But if, you know, mm-hmm. I ask them what figure, and they usually give me a little reason why that figure mm-hmm. uh, mirrors their ideas on, on racial issues. And then mm-hmm. I kind of use that in order to try to do it. It's, it's, it's imprecise. It's not exact. I mean... Obviously, if I could do a more thorough survey, but mm-hmm. I think about the dynamic that I'm in right now. Right. Well, I think that's a, that's a really good way to to bridge that divide because in colleges in general, people, um, you know, there's homophily in action, so people tend to hang out with people who are similar mm-hmm. in a variety of ways, including political ideology. In my college experience, that was certainly the case. The centrists tended to hang out together. The conservatives tended to hang out together. And, and I think... Um, there's not a whole lot of work done, even though now we're starting to see research about how the political divide is a source of prejudice. We're not seeing that much work on getting people, to, to getting students of various ideologies to talk to each other in a structured classroom setting. Um, so I think that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, I'm still learning on how to do this. It's an ongoing process. But yeah, mm-hmm. I've, I've always valued highly trying to have honest, open communications 
uh-huh. students. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you're trying to implement, in a way, Gordon Alport's, Alport's contact hypothesis, which is the idea that intergroup contact, mm-hmm. when it's yes. uh, supported by various structures, actually decreases prejudice. So do you, maybe through student evaluations or conversations, find that students are becoming less prejudiced towards people of... Um, people of different political attitudes over the course of your semester? I think sometimes, yeah. I mean, I, I could tell more about how they react to one another a little bit more. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and, of course, I set certain ground rules for my uh-huh. discussions. You know, uh, students are not allowed to call each other names. or You can use discrete ideas all you want, but you cannot uh-huh. insult, you know, ad hominems are not, not allowed in my class. And I have to enforce uh-huh. that. Right. Uh, you know, that, 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 uh, that background. Because I want people to be able, you know, I want the person who who listens to Rush Limbaugh every day to be able to speak up and say why he or she uh, does not like affirmative action, and you know if I don't allow that, then then yeah, it just becomes a sounding board, and and that's what I'm trying to avoid in my class. Okay. Okay. Well, um, that pretty much wraps it up. Do you have any concluding words for uh, for our readers, people who read the Heterodox Academy blog, or people involved with us? No, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm so happy that we, that we have this uh, Heterodox Academy and, you know, uh, happy to be a part of it. Uh, you know, I like being around people that I disagree with politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can learn from them. Uh, and I, if we can help to bring that to different colleges uh, and obviously to give people the freedom to, uh, to have their perspective, then, uh, you know, the... Then, then, yeah, this is this is something that's great, and, and I just want to implement it in my own personal life as well as advocate for it great. publicly. Yeah, well, um, we, uh, yeah, we are growing. You were one of our original members, and I think uh, we definitely uh, found a niche for ourselves. We definitely found professors at a variety of universities, mm-hmm. even outside the U.S. You think this is worthwhile? Yeah, you know, it's, we're, I think we're succeeding. So, uh, thank you again for your time. Thank you. All right. Take care. You too. Bye.